Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you from Lexington, Kentucky. This is episode three, which will delve further into my Scotland golf experience series of episodes. And this week's show contains the second half of my interview with golf writer and Scottish golf trip guru Graylin Loomis. Uh, we dive a little further into his ebook, How to Plan a Scottish Golf Trip, which I consider the golf trip planner's Bible for how to do a really fun Scottish golf trip. It's what I use as my guide for making the big structural decisions for the trip and which decisions to present to my travel companions and which things just to pull the trigger on. Uh, before we go any further, a reminder that the Blind Shots podcast is a proud member of the Talking Golf Network of Shows, which you can find at TalkingGolf.com. That's 1G, Talking Golf. Uh, there you can find some really great golf podcasts, uh, including Talking Golf History with Connor Lewis. Uh, he, he takes you inside the history of some of the game's best stories. I particularly like that for 2020. He's been focusing his series on great golf architects of the, the bygone eras, really the, the golden era, or the first golden era anyway, of golf course architecture. So if you're into that kind of thing, definitely seek that podcast out uh, and give it a listen. You can interact with this show on Twitter at BlindShotsPod. You can find my thoughts and writings online at OneBeardedGolfer.com. You can interact with me directly on Twitter at OneBeardedGolfer. That's the number one, Bearded Golfer. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook under the One Bearded Golfer handle. And as always, there will be links in the show notes um, and a link over on the, the blog. And I hope you'll check it out. Now, on to Graylin and Scotland. Uh, during my first conversation with Graylin, we discussed his background how he became an expert on Scottish golf travel and what's been deemed the Loomis method of traveling, uh, where you set up a home base in one particular region of Scotland and try to stick to that area or that in one nearby adjoining area so as to minimize travel time and soak in really local culture wherever you play. Try to, you know, that's what makes Scotland so special. Um, that's what we used for our trip. It was a smashing success. Um, I, looking back, I can't imagine having spent more time on the train or more time in a, a cab or a private car going to all the far flung places that I'd like to visit in Scotland. Um, so in this episode, we get a little deeper into his, his book, his thoughts on, uh, golf tour companies and their operators uh, overseas golf memberships for Americans at Scottish golf clubs. Uh, something novel, playing the old course backwards, uh, and much more. So, without much further to do, here's Graylin Loomis. I want to talk a little bit about the reaction to the book. Did anyone ever circle back with you and say, you got this completely wrong? You know, no. So no one has said to me, your, your, your theory is off here. Um, but 
I, I did get a couple interesting reactions. I, I had some people say, uh, particularly about that hidden gem kind of, or I, I don't even call them hidden. I, I, I call them lesser known gems. Um, the I, some people said, "How did you forget this course?" Or right? "How did you not mention this course?" And generally speaking, I, my answer to that was. I, I really try and only recommend places that, that I have seen and, and that I have played myself, unless there's a completely glaring omission where, you know, the, I I haven't played it, but it is the place you, you have to play in that area. Fortunately, they I don't have too many of those glaring omissions after having lived there. Um, no, the book is is thorough, if nothing else. Uh, yeah. So some people were upset about uh, having, you know, not mentioned their favorite local gym. Um, I did get some some negative reaction from golf tour operators, um, and and you're, their, you're chopping their legs out from under them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> Basically, you know, saying, "Hey, here's how you can do it." And and to this day, I I am now I affiliated um, and uh, help with a golf tour operator company. And I help people plan their own golf trips, and I do them both at the same time. And I think there are people out there who um, who have the drive and the knowledge, just like you do, who, who want to kind of lead a trip and plan it with their buddies and be the, the trip dictator, as you said. Um, and there are other people who are big groups, usually 8, 12, 16 golfers, and it's just a big, big logistical project, and and they don't have the interest or, or time to take it on. So it, what I always said to, to the tour operators who were angry with me and, and wrote me or or <laughs> said something to me in person, I said, hey, you know, I, I think you guys uh, add value, and and you guys can you know play a valuable role in planning somebody's trip. However. Um, if somebody has the drive and interest to do it on their own, I, I, I absolutely think that they uh, should be able to do that, and, and I'm happy to help them do that. So, you know, for for, for you, it obviously worked and was a terrific trip. And you know, for the guy who is going with you know 11 other golfers from his home club, and nobody really wants to take that on. That's fine too, but this ebook serves the former and, and not the latter. But they, they were really the, the upset ones. I I kind of chuckle looking back at it, but oh well. Well, you can't make everybody happy. Exactly. Um, the, the book is, and forgive me if I've got this wrong, but the book is silent on the the international memberships that a lot of Scottish clubs offer. Um, yes. You know. I, I, You'll see occasionally some some articles out there of hey is this you know giving you kind of the factors for cost benefit analysis of whether to do that or not. Do you have strong opinions one way or the other on on Scottish clubs uh, for yeah. for Americans? Yeah. Well, I, first and foremost, I, I'll say that that is something that in hindsight I should have addressed. So they, that was not purposely left out. They, that was kind of something that, that I missed because I, I think that would have been a valuable chapter. Um, my, my thinking at the time was uh, more that this was geared at someone who's maybe making that first trip and likely wouldn't be um, thinking about an international membership. But uh, for those that don't know, 
many UK golf courses, and I say UK because this is true across um, kind of the British Isles, uh, offer really terrific deals for international membership. Um, some of the famous, famously good deals are um, Crail, uh, just outside of St. Andrews, um, even down North Berwick, which has a waiting list. But what you can do is go over and kind of set that home base at a course that you join as an international member. And oftentimes there is no initiation fee. You just jump right in and pay that first year of dues. And depending on the course, you could be looking at 200 pounds, 300 pounds. So you make your money back in a couple rounds and you have this home base and place you can play you know, for the rest of your life, if you wanted to to pay those dues, I I think it's such a good deal that that I I'm a member of two, uh, I have two international memberships. One um, in St Andrews at the new club, um, just off the 18th fairway of the the old course there, and then one down in England at a place called Prince's Golf Club, um, and both are are such good value that if there's ever a year that I don't get out to the golf courses. Um, I, I don't, you know, it's not such a big financial hit that you're thinking, oh man, like that was just not worth it. I mean, I, I think it's like 200 pounds a year at the St. Andrews new club. And, and while that isn't really fun to go a year where, where you don't use it, um, it, there are just so many nice benefits. They, some have lodging and you can stay in the lodging for very, very discounted rates and, and so on and so forth. So I, I think it is a, a terrific option. It's probably not something that a lot of people would necessarily do on their very first visit over. You know, kind of hard to, to join a golf club that, that you've never visited. You aren't sure if you like it. And oftentimes that the club will want some sort of, reference or some sort of uh, indication that, that you've been there. Um, but uh, I think for that second trip or, or you know, second and onward, um, yeah, absolutely great option. Which one would you join if you could? I mean, did any really I would. You? I would look at as I, we were sitting at the uh, – what is this? The, not the Ruckus Hotel, the Rousick's. Uh, Russex. Yep. Yeah, we had yep. breakfast. We were sat in that bay window and watched yeah. people. So, uh, we had our breakfast before we played the old course there, which I highly recommend as just a, a neat little experience. Um, I fell in love with the town of St. Andrews. Um, you know, another one that I would consider that was super reasonable was leaving. That was our getaway day. Yeah. I left, we left yeah. a day open, uh, and we were just going to make our way back to, to Edinburgh through golf. And so we, um, we played there and just had a, a blast of a day. Um, and that deal, there's, you know, that, that's a course that has two clubs. And then you've also got, uh, London links next door that has a, a very similar, uh, for a couple hundred pounds had a, an international membership. And, you know, those were, those were courses that looked like everyday golf courses. You know, yeah. The, yeah. It, I could never get bored playing Ely. You know, there's such this, the views and the, the ground is just so spectacular, but you know, that's a, that's a really exclusive club. And, you know, even the, the other, the Earl's fair, other, you know, sports club, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. The, you know, those seaside towns, but down at, you know, just down the coast, 
you know, just really nice links golf for, I was kind of blown away by how inexpensive they were. So those were ones I would think I would definitely put my, my name in the list at North Barrick. That was yes. such a fun round. And that's such a cute town. It is. We it's walked so all charming. through it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was just something uh, that, but yes, for I would not have done it for a first trip. I wanted to see too many different things. I wanted to get, you know, kind of a lay of the land. Um, but yeah, that's something uh, for avid travelers that would definitely be worth it. Um, have you can. Have you considered updating or revising the book, or is that something on your horizon? As it is, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's something that, that I've been thinking about and collecting little notes. I, I have a word document um, where I'm kind of jotting down different ideas, and you know, I, I tried when writing the book. I tried to make it as um, evergreen, you could say, as possible. So I didn't include. Um, Prices, you know, greens fees at courses. I didn't include um, uh, other elements that would quickly become outdated with the thinking that um, I want this to be as relevant to somebody in three years as, you know, next week as, as six years. So I, I did try and make as many of the, the, the themes and ideas as long lasting as possible. What I would do in a next edition is add some chapters. I think you've just hit on one with the, the international um, memberships. Um, I, I would probably delve a little bit deeper into um uh, tour operators so that there'd at least be a chapter for somebody who, who wanted to go with a tour operator or, or how to select a tour operator. Um, well, and speak to that a little bit more because we didn't use a tour operator, but I would assume there's a, a level of sort of bespoke tour operators and probably some cookie cutter plans that are available. What is that yeah. market like as, in your experience? Well, you know, it's a weird market, and I say that um, kind of being involved in it in a way now through Far Insure Golf Tours. Um, but what bothered me so much was that uh, prior to, to getting involved with Far Insure was that there's this wide, wide range of prices people would get for the exact same trip, I mean, down to the same um same courses, same hotels, and one trip would be a thousand dollars more per person than another. Um, or you know, somebody would request a trip and say, "I, I want to stay in bed and breakfast," and they would get back a, a trip that had them staying every night in, in large four-star hotels and. I kept seeing these quotes come through uh, via email, and, and it just that was one of the reasons that I, I wanted to, to create a resource for people to plan their own trips. But as time went on, I realized, and I am realizing more and more, people need help kind of sifting through uh, these quotes from tour operators. So some are very fair. Um, some seem to, to take advantage. You, you can really get as bespoke and, and personal as you want. I mean, they, there are companies that uh, will, will do helicopter tours um, where you do literally go all across the, the U.K., not just Scotland, but all across the U.K. via helicopter 
and you come back to the same home base every single night. So you, you could uh, play Dornick in the morning and play Turnberry in the afternoon and spend the night in St. Andrews and, and you did the whole thing <laughs> via helicopter um, all the way down to, to kind of what we do at, at Far Insure, which is trying to take a lot of that local knowledge that, that I have and, and the two um, founders have and pair that with a lot of the um, with people who want a, a trip where they can see any of the courses they want to see but we, we really try and get people to to spend some time at some of those lesser known gyms um, and and spend more time in, in fewer areas and sometimes it's hard to, to get people to uh, to do that um, but basically what I would tell people to watch out for is if you give a tour operator some degree of, of input hey this is what we're looking for this is the type of trip we want and you get back a trip with pretty significant changes that, that are uh, not explained. So, for instance, they, they, they don't say, hey, sorry, but X, Y, and Z courses are fully booked, so it's not possible to play those, and instead we recommend you play these. Um, if things are just changed and, and it seems expensive, um, I, I would watch out. I, and uh, what I tell everyone is to get two or three, four quotes um, I, I would get a, a, a quote from a number of different people, and um, of course, I, I'm biased and would say, be sure to get a, a quote from Far and Sure Golf Tours. But um, just look at them and compare them and see. I, a quick anecdote: um, we had someone reach out uh, and and call um, just recently and said, "Hey, here's a trip uh, I want to take," and and we. Um, we we priced it out and it was about forty two forty three hundred dollars per man and um, they wrote back and said you won't believe what, what we just received today and uh, they forwarded us a quote from another tour operator and it was thirteen thousand nine hundred dollars per man oh my goodness I mean they for pretty much the exact same trip and to this day like we cannot figure out I mean, <laughs> I mean they, that's either a, a lost in translation or I mean they they really were thinking somebody was gullible yeah well I, I think that that's part of it a, one of the things people will find and this is just kind of uh, the the dirty side of the industry um, it, it does take the same amount of effort to book a trip for two people as it does for six or eight. Um, so as with many other businesses, oftentimes you do get some pricing power by going with a larger group. And this was a group of two. And, and we think that this tour operator must have said, well, if I'm going to go through the hassle of booking for two, I might as well make the profit that I would have, you know, had it been a group of eight or something well, like that. And, and I'll let you in on a little secret on the world with professionals. Uh, I've delved in, in a couple of different arenas. And sometimes you can use the sticker price just to, to get rid of jobs that you may not want. I, I think that's that, that, that is also, yeah, I think they thought, well, we've got plenty of business this summer. If these guys are suckers, then <laughs> – than good, but uh, safe to say they did not go with the the, the fourteen thousand uh, dollar quote. But that uh, that had our our jaws on the floor. You can get a really nice bathroom or, or part of a kitchen for that. That's incredible. <laughs> exactly, you, you could take three golf trips to Scotland. Yeah, we we are uh, all in <laughs> flights, uh, Airbnb, cabs. Uh, 
everything. We, yeah, we our trip was much less than that. We played Carnoustie in the old course and just had a, a grand time. That's that's mind blowing to me. It uh, is. <laughs> well, that was. Let's not end on a, a dark note. There, you've been no, incredibly no. gracious with your time. Tell me the truth. I got. I won the, the private advance tea time lottery the first time I ever applied. <laughs> Should I feel cheated that I didn't have to go stand in line at three in the morning at the old course? Did I do it wrong? No. Okay. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, you did it right. Well, so and, I, yeah. and I, full confession and full disclosure for the, the listeners, Graylin, it's your fault that this happened. I went back and found it. You sent out a tweet in, I think, July of 2018 that said, hey, it was you retweeted something from the St. Andrews Links Trust about, hey, uh, uh, the ballots for the private advance tea times are going to be opening up. And I saw that. I didn't know what it was. But I saw that, and I clicked on it and checked it once a week until it opened up and filled out the application for a summer tea time, filled out the application for a shoulder season. Uh, and you talk about stressful. You're having to pick between all your – there are eight of us that go on our summer golf trip and having to – I knew I couldn't get – there were two guys that it was going to be a hard no to get them in the fall uh, for Scottish weather. So yep. having to pick from five other friends to put three names down on that piece of paper, that's stress. <laughs> that is – that aged that aged me right there. But without, without seeing you sort of just good-naturedly publishing that out for the world to see on social media, I wouldn't have known to do that. Uh, so well, a, a heartfelt thank you for that, <laughs> the work that you do for, for really being a, a yard barker for Scottish golf. That's um, The book is full of incredible information. Um, you know, you are on a, a different career path now than the, the journalism path. Are you playing, has that led to more playing golf, less golf, or just about the same? You know, less golf, but I don't, well, I don't think I'll ever play quite as much as I did while at Link. Say, I um, started at one point keeping a note in my phone um, of each golf course that I played, and I, I think I was averaging about 65 different golf courses a, a year. So they, it's not total rounds. Total rounds was closer to 100 or so, um, but 65 different golf courses uh, throughout the year, and, and it, it was a lot of travel. And fortunately, I was doing it on on company dime because I'm not sure how how anyone could afford to, <laughs> to, to, to do it otherwise. Um, but yeah, so let's go off now. One thing you said. Sorry, I, I'm going to jump back to the old horse sure. ballot and, and a tweet. Um, so just a, a funny aside um, that that hopefully people will, depending on when this comes out, what we'll see. But uh, for the first time in years, the St. Andrews Links Trust, uh, they, that's the group that runs all the golf courses in St. Andrews, are allowing groups to play the old course in reverse. Um, and they, that was a thing that was done for many, many years um, in late November. And then a few years before I got to Scotland, it stopped. And they, they put out an email to, to Lynx ticket holders or members in the area. Um, I guess it was probably last week saying, hey, we are reopening it this year and you can uh, apply to enter a ballot to play it. Um, 
later this month. So for, for if anybody's really crazy, uh, they can fly over to St. Andrews later in late November and, um, and try and play the old course in reverse because they, there's one day a year that you get to do it. And, um, you, you talk about a once in a lifetime opportunity they, for a lot of people they, that would truly be once in a lifetime. You know, I, I've, Tom Doak has talked about that as part of the inspiration for the loop up in, mm-hmm. in Roscommon. Um, and that they, they do it once a year, that that tradition was coming back. And I'm, I can't help but think if I went to the trouble, you know, if I didn't have a guaranteed regular season or shoulder season tea time, if I got to St. Andrews and I, I got to play the old course, but I, got, I had to play it in reverse, would I be more, would I be upset or would I be more thrilled at the uniqueness of the story? Um, because frankly, I, the way I played it, I was playing from different, and my caddy, with, even with his help, um, I felt like I was playing it in reverse. With some of the angles that we took. <laughs> a lot of angles. A lot of, a lot of yeah. angles. Um, but that, that is something that's very cool. And for the, for the avid golfer and the, the St. Andrews enthusiast, that would, that would really be something special. Yeah. Uh, the book is How to Plan a Scottish Golf Trip. I've been speaking with Graylin Loomis. You can find him on Twitter at Gray Loomis. Did I get that one right? That's right, yeah. And uh, what is the Instagram handle? Do you know that? Is it just search Graylin Loomis? Just, uh, yeah, you search Graylin Loomis. I believe it's Gray Loomis as well, G-R-A-Y-L-O-O-M-I-S. Okay. Well, I've taken up too much of your time. Thank you so much for for chatting with me. Again, everything I said was earnest. Uh, If I hadn't seen that tweet, I wouldn't have applied. And if I didn't have the book, we would have been lost uh, and probably making a lot of the mistakes that you you correct in the the book. So uh, thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Again, a hearty thank you to Grelin Loomis for chatting with me. I highly recommend his ebook, How to Plan a Scottish Golf Trip. I really think it's the Bible for trip planners uh, with some evergreen information that applies all over the world, not just to Scotland. I do hope he takes the time to update it. I think the concept of an overseas golf membership to a Scottish golf club is intriguing, if not fascinating. Definitely something aspirational, but if I make that a every once in a while journey or get to a position where I can go over there every year, that's something that I'm going to seriously consider. Uh, a link to where you can find and buy his ebook is in the show notes. It's also on the the blog page. It, namely, it can send you to graylandloomis.com, G-R-A-Y-L-Y-N-L-O-O-M-I-S.com. Or on Amazon. Uh, That's probably where most people can find it most easily. Thinking back on this conversation with Graylin and and the information provided in the book, if I had something to do over over again differently from our Scottish golf trip, I think I would have approached the transportation within Scotland differently. You know, having read the book and examined the maps, I really underestimated the travel time differences and the difference in hassle between U.S. travel and Scottish travel. I think, too, I was a bit too optimistic that our group could rely on public transportation, namely trains and and maybe sidewalks to get us where we wanted to go. So, yeah, thanks for that missed impression, John Mark, wherever you are. Uh, The pro tip, 
Getting around almost anywhere in Scotland is easy by train or by bus. They're great. The realistic tip is getting almost anywhere in Scotland lugging golf clubs and luggage along with you is a pain in the ass. Not only for you, but for all the people around you. Uh, we took a train. The train to Carnoustie from Edinburgh was easy because we left at 5 in the morning. We were the only people alive and awake at that time. It didn't matter that we were dragging uh, a hard golf case and our luggage for the week along with us. We weren't in anybody's way. We took a train back from Carnoustie towards St. Andrews at evening rush hour with all of our golf hard cases and luggage still in tow. And I swear, from the table we were sitting at, we could see the train car attendant's anxiety level rising as the car got more crowded with each successive stop as more people got on heading back towards the major cities and our stuff taking up so much room. And she got more anxious and more worried at each train stop that we didn't get off of. Um, you know, being my first trip over to the UK, there was no way I was going to rent a car. The, those tiny backcountry roads with everyone on the wrong side of the road would likely have led to an incident, let's just say. Um, plus, the cars are different over there. The people that do own cars in places like St. Andrews, they drive as small of a car as they can get away with. You know, with the, the tiny roads and parking being an issue, I don't blame them. But that mindset spills over to the rental car companies. At one point, I investigated a rental car, you know, just to feel out what prices would be, would be available. For the amount of room we needed for three golfers, I would have had to rent a Range Rover at just an extortionate daily rate. You know, the, the common SUV and, and the crossovers that are so ubiquitous on American roads simply don't exist in Scotland. You know, I live in Kentucky. We make Ford Explorers here. Uh, we have a gigantic Toyota plant that makes Camrys and Avalons and, and hybrids and things. And so we are a very Toyota loyal culture. There are SUVs everywhere. And that's just not true in Scotland. So, you know, the, renting a car wasn't an issue. I think I probably would have budgeted for and been an earlier adopter of private taxi transportation. Uh, here's the free plug for the show. You get rewarded for good service here on the Blind Shots podcast. If you're around the St. Andrews area and you need a ride, I'll personally vouch for the team at Starfish Taxis. I'll put a link to the webpage of theirs in the show notes. Um, they took care of us. Once we got to St. Andrews and I accepted that trains and buses weren't going to get us where we wanted to go when we wanted to be there, Tim and his team, uh, they took amazing care of us. Big fleet of full-size vans. They can fit, I think, up to eight people. There were three of us, and we were comfortable each time. Uh, they've got flat rates to all of the golf courses there in Fife and East Nuke. Um, it, when I go back, that will be how I travel. Um, Grayland addresses logistics in his book. I just think I didn't pay enough attention to it. I maybe let my ego and my cheapness get in the way. Um, but those were easily correctable mistakes. Plus, if I'd planned on using taxis straight from the start, we would have missed out on the lovely once-in-a-lifetime experience that was taking an Edinburgh City bus from the city center all the way out to North Berwick in a 
sleep-deprived stupor. I alluded to this in the last episode with Graylin, that uh, there's a regular train service from Edinburgh out to North Berwick, but by the time we got to Waverly Station that day, um, I think what the lady told us was that there was a fire incident. Um, regardless of the why, uh, you know, being fresh off the plane and awake for 30 straight hours, you definitely want to start contemplating how you're going to get out and save your tea time right off the plane. So that's how you start a trip um, in an ideal world, for sure. So we, we were left scrambling because there was a train carcass somewhere that wasn't going to take us out to North Berwick. At that point, I should have sprung for a cab. Uh, it just called around, find somebody that had a van or a station wagon that could do three golf bags. We had changed. We didn't have our hard cases with us. We weren't dragging luggage. We had been to the hotel for our first night. But my cheapness and this unjustified belief in the virtue of European public transit prevented me from pulling the trigger on the cab. So we took a bus. Swear to God, the bus stopped every block for 10 miles. I went back and looked it up. It's a 24-mile drive from the train station to basically the pro shop or the starter's hut at North Berwick. And I'm not exaggerating. It took us every bit of 85 minutes. I watched a guy play an entire par 3 hole at Muscleboro from the bus. That's how often it stopped. I knew where we were going. I had sprung for the data plan on the day uh, so I could deal with this sort of thing. You know, I called North Berwick and said, hey, we're not going to make our tea time. We're just hoping to get out there as soon as we can. And, and bless their heart, they were, they were great. They took care of us. They said, hey, if you get here by 1245, no problem. Um, you know, and this, I think, is 11 o'clock at, at that point or maybe 1030. He said, 1 o'clock, I've got a members competition. I've got to send out a bunch of guys. That would put you out at about 2.30, so you want to get in front of that. So, okay. So I'm doing, I'm doing the calculus in my head. It's like, okay. Or actually, it's an SAT problem at that point. If, if a bus leaving Edinburgh, stopping every two blocks for 24 miles, what time will it ar arrive in North Berwick, and what will my blood pressure be when we get there? But I, I knew where we were going. I was following our little blue dot on the Google Maps, comparing that to the time, just just hoping, just hoping we were going to get there. Matt and Fred were kind of along for the ride at this point. We're all exhausted, hungry, and as it turns out, we're in the back of a, a very nice Edinburgh bus. I watched the map. I watched my watch, desperately hoping we could get to the course before one. I did not want our first golf experience in Scotland to be a... A less than 18, you know, a round interrupted by darkness just because we couldn't get there. That, that would have been kind of a bummer. So we're monitoring, we're monitoring, and all of a sudden something terrible happens. We get, uh, I finally succumbed to the sleep that I didn't get on the red-eye transatlantic flight. I made it as far as Gullen. I remember seeing their courses. There was a hickory tournament going on, which was really cool to see as we drove by at the speed of smell. But I think my lights went out soon thereafter, which is fine. I mean, I needed a quick nap. Problem was, Fred and Matt, who remained nominally awake, had no idea where we were going or where to get off the bus. Luckily, one of them, somebody, woke me up 
right as the bus had turned to head back towards Edinburgh. Like they, we had gone through North Berwick city center and we're headed back, I guess, west at that point. And so they tapped me on the, the head or the leg and woke me up and I shot up like a spring. As it turns out, we were just, you know, maybe 150, 200 yards from the starter hut at North Berwick. But, um, I'm sure that was a little nerve wracking for Fred, who I know was still awake. But the instant adrenaline rush I got from that, from waking up mortified that I'd missed it, that we'd overslept and were somewhere around Muirfield, was all I needed. I had a shot in the arm, and I was good to go for, for at least a few holes on that adrenaline. Um, after the round, you know, luckily they apparently had cleared the smoldering carcass of train from the tracks, and we were able to catch the, the last train back to Edinburgh for the night. After our round, which we got in with no problem, and, and we ate an early dinner at the Ship Inn in North Berwick. Cute, charming pub. Took good care of us. It all worked out, but I would definitely do that sort of transportation bit differently or had a better backup plan. The only problem with logistics at St. Andrews uh, in that area in general was that the trains don't actually run through St. Andrews or Ely or Earl's Ferry or even Liebenlinks. Uh, you know, the train is great for North Berwick. It's great for Carnoustie, stopping a few hundred yards from those clubhouses. But for the home of golf, there's a transfer. You know, the, the train line ends maybe 10, 15 miles. So you've got, you've got to do something to get in. Um, technically, there are buses that run back and forth on routes from the town to the train station. It's kind of a shuttle situation. But if you're dragging golf clubs and you've got luggage, spend the five or ten pounds that you'd split for a cab ride. It's not worth the hassle to everybody else and to yourself to be dragging that stuff around the buses. You know, we finally got the hang of getting around places about the time our trip ended. Um, on our last day, uh, we took we used Tim's taxi, uh, Starfish taxi, to get from St. Andrews. We had all our luggage. We had checked out of our, our house rental and made our way down to Levin. Um, had a great time, and then we were able to find a cab that would give us a flat rate back to the hotel in Edinburgh for the last night. And that was a splurge. We could have had them drop us off at the train station, but I think Fred and Matt had just nightmares about what that train at rush hour would look like again. So, um, you know, the our hotel in... Uh, I guess there's a courtyard in Edinburgh was super convenient to both the, the city tram uh, system and Scotrail, the, the national train. Think Scottish equivalent of Amtrak, even though we didn't use it on the way back. The cab ride was expensive, but for three weary pilgrims on our last day, the hour of just sitting still and let someone else do all the thinking and the driving was worth it. So these are just considerations that I would probably look at differently on a second trip uh, it may sound like a trivial details but you know if you're going overseas to play golf put some thought into it Grayland makes that point in his book that travel is very different in scotland and i'll vouch for it you, know, you can't just hop on the interstate and if it's 60 miles count on getting there in an hour or less uh, it's just different and on that uh, you know Thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots podcast. 
A reminder that you can interact with the show on Twitter at BlindShotsPod or on the web at BlindShotsPodcast.com. There you can download episodes of the show directly onto your favorite device. Uh, You can also download the show into your feed from all the major podcast feeds, iTunes, Google, Blueberry, Stitcher, Player FM, all the rest. Uh, I hope you liked what you heard here and that you'll subscribe to the podcast, share an episode with your friends, uh, maybe go in on iTunes, give the show a rating. If you didn't like what you heard here, sorry about that. I can't do anything about it now. Uh, As I've mentioned, the pertinent links and helpful hints from this podcast are up on the blog. Uh, the, the show notes, as it were. You can check them out also at onebeardedgolfer.com. We'll have some additional Scottish Golf Experience episodes coming up shortly, uh, as well as mixing in some non-Scottish golf-related interviews. I like to mix it up. Uh, I hope you'll join me again next time here on the Blind Shots co- podcast. I hope everyone is being smart and being safe out there. I know... Uh, these are trying times at the moment so I can't wait to get back out on the golf course whenever that may be until then until the next episode do choose to go for it and take dead aim